0: A scripture reading this morning is from Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I had, that I had proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running, at, running or not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do, the word of the Lord.
1: Now um, the passage that uh, I'm going to be reflecting on is uh, uh, a passage that when I was assigned it, that I was disappointed one of the passages that I hope dearly I wouldn't have to preach on, because in some ways it's kind of difficult to preach a sermon on. And uh, that was back then, and uh, the more I've thought about it, of course, uh, I've come to see that I'm still disappointed that I am preaching on it. However... One of the things, of course, is about the word of God and the spirit of God and the power of God is that he delights to take weak things and bless through them. And so it is my hope that, uh, that in my weakness with regard to this passage, nevertheless, he might bless you with something for the upbuilding of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the advance in a small way of his kingdom Now, it would seem that the Apostle Paul in the first chapter, as we've been working through the book of Galatians, in the first chapter, he has made abundantly clear, abundantly clear, that his apostleship and his message, his gospel, (laughs) does not come from man or even through men but comes directly by uh, from Jesus Christ his apostleship comes from Jesus Christ his message comes from Jesus Christ and not by man and as we read then we would think well he settled that and then we wonder why he would then seem to go on with the same kind of subject in chapter 2 as he reports on this visit to Jerusalem. Now, uh, uh, one uh, possible reason why he continues on and addresses uh, this visit to Jerusalem when he met with the leaders there is because the, his opponents, the Judaizers, who were, all, were, were always seeking to denigrate his apostleship, and uh, were to challenge uh, the validity of his gospel it may have been that uh, in order to accomplish that to uh, in a sense uh, push him aside and advance their cause uh, might have argued along these lines they might have used this visit along these lines to to do that they might have said well uh, we can see here that the Apostle Paul was was, uh, uh, dependent upon the Apostles and subordinate to the Apostles. Subordinate and dependent upon the gospels for his message. Uh, He was summoned to Jerusalem. And there he had to set before them the gospel that he preaches. And they were to sit in evaluation of it. And... uh, It was up to them to validate whether or not his gospel had apostolic approval. And um, an agreement was reached. Uh, He passed the test. An agreement would reach. They shook hands. He focused on the Gentiles and Peter and the gang and the Jews would focus on the Jews. And they may have said, yeah, And we can see his subordinate relationship to the apostles because Peter required him to remember the poor Jerusalem. And then I I would assume that what they might have argued was uh, that uh, having uh, come to this agreement that the Apostle Paul then eventually reneged on that agreement. And as a man pleaser, in order to advance his cause, that is his gospel mission, uh, he decided that uh, Gentiles Which they uh, didn't have to be circumcised, which made it a lot easier for them. And uh, and on top of all of that, uh, he had the gall, as we will see next week, to publicly rebuke Peter. Peter himself rebuked by Paul publicly in Antioch. So Paul feels it's necessary to clarify that situation, to fill. Uh, his readers in Galatians ends uh, on what really happened there, and he says, "The sense of it is, uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't summoned to Jerusalem by no means. I went there by direct revelation from Christ. I went there under orders of Christ. He sent me there. This was not my initiative." And uh, when I got there, of course, I I set my gospel that I proclaimed amongst the Gentiles uh, to the uh, leaders in Jerusalem. Yes, of course, but I I set it there, not for their validation, but in order that we might come to some kind of public formal agreement uh, that was, uh, in the the, the light of the controversy that are going on in the church, that uh, the, uh, the unity of the church might be preserved and uh, it was clear that uh, that was my intention because they added nothing to my gospel. They added nothing. And, I, and, and when I was down there, I had brought, I had brought uh, Titus with me, a Gentile, who was uncircumcised. And the apostles made no, uh, uh, did not compel him to be circumcised. They didn't even raise the issue. What brought the issue to the foreground was when some false brothers snuck in. And they, uh, as a result of their work, this uh, idea of... Co- the necessity of circumcision and the controversy around it arose. And as far as, the, uh, as, far as uh, collecting for the poor in Jerusalem, I was eager to do that. I'd already been doing it. And it's something that I consider to be of great importance. <coughs> and so it may have been along those lines that the Apostle Paul uh, operated at this point in uh, in his letter to the Galatians, explaining what really went on. Now, um, as the Apostle Paul uh, seeks, to, seeks to draw the Galatians back to a true allegiance to Jesus Christ in terms of the gospel that they had first heard from him, and uh, at the same time to... Uh, uh, to combat and to refute uh, what the Judaizers were teaching, as he does that, uh, he, uh, he unpacks his gospel that he preached to the Gentiles. Uh, he brings his gospel to bear on what the Gentiles really need to know in relationship to their interaction with the Judaizers, and he brings his gospel to bear on the with respect to refuting the Judaizer heresy, and as he uh, goes about doing this, as he unpacks his gospel in this letter, he gives to us an overview of the gospel. An overview of the gospel, in which he outlines the saving blessings of the gospel. In which he or, uh, outlines the riches of the gospel that we have in and through Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And um, I think it's uh, important uh, uh, for you and I, and I think it's important for those who are followers of Jesus Christ uh, to have in their mind uh, an overview, an outline of the riches the saving blessings that we have in and through Jesus Christ, that we ought to have that for ourselves, and we ought to have that when we're interacting with others. And so uh, I will spend some time uh, uh, looking at, in a brief way, the uh, outline, the overview of the gospel that he sets for us in Galatians. I also think it's uh, important that we have some understanding of the riches, an outline of the riches of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ, in order to really interact with and understand the book of Galatians, what's going on and how Paul's arguing. And if you happen to be here today as one who is investigating the Christian faith, you are not yet come to that point of committing yourself to him, but you're interested and you're searching and we're extremely happy that you were here we hope you will keep on coming and eventually come to some relationship with jesus christ but i think that as uh, it's important for you too at least i would i think so uh, that uh, suggest to you that you uh, have a, a a clear idea of the overview of the gospel the outline of the gospel and what the riches are that christ has for you in this gospel that you not uh, that you keep that in mind in your investigation now what is fundamental to the uh, uh, gospel that the Apostle Paul preaches, uh, preached in, 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 uh, in the Mediterranean world? Uh, what is central to it is, the, is, is, is Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, uh, we have the saving blessings of Jesus, we have the riches of his, go- of his good news. We have every saving blessing, so that in Jesus Christ, those who belong to him possess these uh, these riches. That's very important. And uh, what is it that uh, joins us to this? It is as we are joined to Jesus Christ, is as we're joined to Jesus Christ, that we come to experience and possess these blessings are in Jesus Christ. Every blessing is in Jesus Christ. Every benefit of his death and resurrection is in Jesus Christ. And it's as you are united to Jesus Christ, as you are joined to Jesus Christ, that you receive and experience every blessing he has to come, to give. And uh, fundamental to his understanding of the gospel is that what joins you to Jesus Christ, what unites to him is, is faith in Jesus Christ. It's as you put your faith in Jesus Christ that you are united to him, joined to him, and receive these blessings. Faith is absolutely necessary to experience what Jesus Christ has earned for people like you and I in and through his death and resurrection. Faith is necessary, but we must always keep in mind that faith does not save you. Faith does not save you. It is not something you do that saves you. Jesus saves you. Not something you do can save you. What Jesus does. And what the value of faith is, is that faith in Jesus joins you to Jesus. And in union with Jesus, you receive all that he has to give. And fundamental to the Apostle Paul's understanding of this faith idea is that it's faith by itself Faith is sufficient. That we are not, we cannot and must not add anything to that faith. We must in no way say faith plus something, something that we do in order to experience the blessings. And I would stress that in order. Okay? That Paul is going to say the moment you add anything to faith in order to be joined to Jesus Christ to get those blessings. You have nullified faith. The moment you add anything that you do of any sort, add to faith in order to get the blessing, in order to unite you to Jesus Christ, then that what you add is like an arsenic that poisons things and nullifies that faith so that the faith is no longer of value. In fact, Say that if you do that, if you add to something you do, which that is what he calls works, you add some works to faith in order to get Christ, you are severed from Christ. Severed from Christ. And he wants to make that so abundantly clear. Now, the Judaizers, these opponents of, of the Apostle Paul, uh, 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 had a, 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 a Agreed to a lot of uh, things with the Apostle Paul. They had a lot in common, the Apostle Paul, you know. It seems that uh, they certainly believed that Jesus Christ was the long-promised Messiah. And they would have believed that he was both the Son of God, that he was the Son of God, and that he was man. He was the great God-man. They would have believed that he died and rose again for sinners. And they would have argued, it would appear, that they thought it necessary to put, for one to put one's faith in Jesus Christ. But the problem with the Judaizers, in one sense, was small, but in another sense, it was huge. They did not think that faith was sufficient. It was insufficient. It was necessary, but insufficient. You had to add something to faith, and what they said, you had to do something You had to do, that doing was obeying the law of God as we find it in Moses and with a special focus on things like circumcision and the Jewish rules, eating rules, food rules. This is what their point was. It was, was faith was not enough. And as we see that that is what Paul continues to attack in the book of Galatians. Now as he unpacks his gospel in the book of Galatians, we see first and foremost that uh, in the next chapter or in the rest of this chapter as we'll probably look at in soon, that we are justified in Christ. It is through faith in Christ that a believer is justified, receives the saving benefit of justification. Now, um, Justification is fundamental, and I will leave it uh, to next week to, for the preacher who will be preaching to explain what justification is. But I want, I think, I hope that uh, you will pay special attention so that you will come to a clear understanding of what it is. For the Apostle Paul, you see, to know what justification is, is fundamental to non- knowing and understanding the gospel and that you can have in your mind what it is and that you can explain what it is and if somebody asks you what it is that you have an answer for it and to know what justification is take fair amount of concentrated effort it's not that easy to really get a clear grasp of it and so I hope you play a great uh, you do pay attention next week and then the apostle paul will go on Because justification is not the be-all and is not the end of the gospel. The justification, uh, uh, union with Christ brings all kinds of benefits. He will then go on to say that we, in chapter 3, that we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in all of his wonderful power, not by works, but by faith. It's in union with Christ, by faith, that we have the Holy Spirit so absolutely necessary to knowing Jesus and serving Jesus. And then again in chapter 3, he will say and make clear that it is in Christ by faith and through faith that we are adopted into the family of God. For it is in Christ. We are the sons of God. We are his family. And what is fascinating, what he drives home is, is it's those who have been adopted into the family of God, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, they are descendants of Abraham. They are the ultimate and final Jew, regardless of their ethnic background. So uh, Paul outlines his gospel, and I think those are three key outlines in his gospel, that we are justified, that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that we are adopted into his family as when, in which we know him as Abba Father. It is also interesting to me that the Apostle Paul hints at, hints at uh, the structure of his gospel. Now, I realize that when I say, put it that way, the structure of his gospel that some of you are snoozing off uh, but uh, I, I think there is importance to understand the structure of his gospel. It certainly interests me, and I will have to admit that a lot of things that interest me in life don't interest other people, but uh, I would urge you to try to, take, uh, to listen to this and see what you think of it. See if you can integrate this into your life. See if, it, see if it will help you. I think it does. I think it has revolutionized my own life in the service of Jesus Christ. That's how important I think it is, but again... That may not count for a lot. So, what does he do? He hints at the structure. Well, in the beginning of the letter, right at the first of the letter, he begins, he says, that in Jesus Christ, you have been delivered from this present evil world. Now the present evil, no, this present evil age. The present evil age is this this era of time now, this world as it is now. This world that has been infected and polluted and controlled by sin. It's a world in which men and women, infected and controlled controlled by sin, with all of their energy, resist God, seeking to uh, make themselves the master of their own destiny and the captain of their own soul, seeking, uh, 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 and and as controlled by sin, uh, seeking to live out their lives according to the principles and values and goals of this present evil age and so we are we are uh, uh, there's a bondage here a bondage that we have been delivered from in Jesus Christ that's an important idea to the Apostle Paul and uh, then he goes on at the very end of the letter it's interesting at the very end of the letter he says It's not circumcision that counts, it's not uncircumcision that counts, it's the new creation that counts. The new creation, that is that in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. And you participate in the new creation. That in Jesus Christ through faith, that you have been raised with Jesus Christ as a new man, as a new woman. A new man, as a new woman, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit delivered from the controlling power of sin, and now enabled to live according to the principles and the values and the goals of the Holy Spirit. The principles and the values of God. That you can live in His service and for His honor. That you might come to experience true human experience in its ultimate sense. That Holy Spirit, you see, that dwells in a person... And in a, uh, is the first installment of the new creation. raised, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, experienced the Holy Spirit, we experience the first installment of the new creation, that new creation that will find its climax and perfections in the resurrection life, in the new heavens, in the new, la, or, uh, in the new, the new heavens and the new Earth, when Jesus Christ returns. well that's the uh, an outline of the gospel and that's the structure of the apostle's gospel now we uh has a an interesting statement that he makes here in verse 2 he says that uh, in going up to jerusalem and interacting with the jerusalem leaders whereby he was setting out before them the gospel that he was preaching. Uh, he was, uh, he was uh, as he went there to present it, it was in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. That's, a, that's interesting language. Don't you, know, you think of the Apostle Paul viewing his life that way? I think what he was getting at is that uh, in the light of this Judaizing controversy, uh, he was extremely worried that there was going to be two churches. There was going to be a Jewish church and there was going to be a gentle church, Gentile church more or less going their own way. More or less going their own way. And so uh, this was sort of uh, uh, contradicted everything he believed in, everything he was working for. Everything that was so important to him as an apostle to the Gentiles. That is, that in Jesus Christ, the people of God are one. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither barbarian nor Scythian. There is neither male nor female. There is neither rich nor poor. There is neither slave nor free. That whoever you are, whatever your ethnic background is... Wherever you come from, whoever you come from, whatever your status form, you have access to Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ have every spiritual blessing. There is a oneness to the church of Jesus Christ. There is a oneness to the body that was fundamental to his understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to build in this world. And this whole idea that the Judaizers were in a sense a tremendous threat to one of the great goals of his mission was to build a one people in which Jews and Gentiles came together in the bond of love and mutual service. And uh, I think it's for that reason that uh, Peter uh, asks Paul to remember the poor. Now the poor that uh, Peter is talking about here are not the poor in general. They are the poor people in Jerusalem. That is more specifically, they are the poor people that make up the church in Jerusalem, the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Now I'm I'm a firm believer that uh, the church has a concern and a great responsibility to minister to the poor in general. I'm a, uh, that's a very important aspect of the church's existence. But here the focus is on the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And Peter is saying, and the reason I think he sees it is, and the reason why Paul, Paul, Paul is so agreeable to it is, because they are both aware that, um, that, uh, that as, as Christians reach out uh, to meet the temporal needs of other people, that that is a tremendously powerfully uniting force. It brings givers and receivers into a bond, into a fellowship, into a love bond. It is a concrete way in which the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ is experienced when some who have minister and supply the need for those who lack And so the Apostle Paul, of course, saw this as a great thing, and he spent a huge amount of energy and a huge amount of time collecting money for the poor Christian Jews in Jerusalem because he realized that this would not only symbol their unity, but it would, in a sense, bind them together and demonstrate the transforming power of the gospel and be a wonderful example of the oneness that we have in Jesus. Now... I would uh, like to apply that, in, in a, that could be applied in many ways, of course, I would like today just to apply it in one way. I would like to remind us of the work of the deacons in this church. And the deacons have, have been assigned the task and the work of, uh, of seeking to search out and minister to uh, the temporal and material needs of those who are lacking in our congregation. Uh, they are there to represent the love and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And their ministry is not peripheral. Their ministry is not just sort of a sideline. It is fundamental to the well-being of the church. It's fundamental to well-being of who we are and how we how we're how we relate to one another and how we stand in the community because it is as, as the deacons do their work in minister the temporal and material needs of people that, uh, that unites us. It's a tremendous uniting force when someone experiences through the deacons, your love, your concern, your care. It reminds them in a, in, a, in a very concrete and dramatic way of the love of Christ, the presence of Christ and the power of the gospel and the reality of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And so the work of the deacons is vital and I hope that we do spend our time praying for them. I hope perhaps in our grace gathering uh, regularly we are praying not only for the preaching of the word which is vital, not only for our elders as they lead and pastor this church and shepherd this church but we are praying also for the deacons that they will have wisdom and they will be able to uh, know how to minister to people and how to help people. They will have the energy and the perseverance. It's an extremely difficult thing. It's an ex- I think it's an extremely challenging thing to try to help people. And pray they will have the resources that they need. And it is my hope and prayer that perhaps if the deacons see fit, that there are uh, w- ways in which that we can develop the ministry and expand the ministry, uh, that uh, uh, that might happen. Uh, and we might give it careful attention, so that uh, we might come increasingly to be an echo of that amazing church in Acts chapter two, which so powerfully demonstrated the reality of Jesus Christ, and uh, in their concern for the physical, temporal concern for one another, that we here would be an echo of that. We, when we begin to see some of Acts two right in our mind, that we would experience that giving and receiving and the bond that results from it. And then finally, I just want to make clear, of course, because I might be misunderstood that uh, uh, the Christian's responsibility for material and temporal needs uh, (coughs) moves out in ever increasing circles, widening circles. Uh, The Christians, their first responsibility, of course, is to provide for their own homes. To neglect your home, the Apostle Paul says, is to be worse than an, an infidel. And it begins there, and then it moves into the church family. And that's vital. Neglect that is to fail Jesus Christ. And then, of course, it moves out from the church family into the wider human family. So it begins in the home, moves into the church, and keeps moving out into the community. And so we not only have a diaconal ministry, we also have a ministry of mercy and justice, so that as we, both within our bounds through the the deacons and through our ministry of mercy and justice, we are seeing and demonstrating Christ's concern for the poor. And I trust that that, uh, we will... Uh, come to see the importance of our, we being a community that not only cares for the spiritual needs of people, as important that is, not only that we pray for them, but that we will really be prepared to count when it is often difficult to do, when people really know whether you really are in, in a bond of love. That is we are prepared to share out of our financial and material resources with those who are at some time for, for some reason the providence of God lacking. And may the Lord God, by his spirit, enable us to be this kind of church that proclaims Jesus Christ in every way. Amen. Well, uh, are there any questions? I have no idea what, uh, what we're doing time-wise. How are we doing for time, Lyndon? Okay. Pardon me.
0: So at this time, uh, there's an opportunity to ask questions. I have a few questions that have come in uh, from the phone, so I'm gonna I'll get us started here. Howard preached that it is by faith alone that we are united to Jesus, and that any additive in the form of works nullifies this unification. Then what about obedience to the commandments of Jesus? We're commanded to love God, love our neighbors, and spread the gospel to all nations. Aren't these commandments a form of works? Aren't our spiritual blessings or fruits tied
1: to our obedience to the gospel? That's a very good question. I think Lyndon wants to answer that one. (laughs) No, I don't. Okay, that's a very good question. And a great deal of care must be given to the book of Galatians. A great deal of care as to what Paul is saying. And a great deal of care to the whole New Testament when we talk about Galatians. How much time do we have?
0: Take two minutes and then we'll move on. This will have
1: to be quick. It should be, it deserves quite a long answer. You must keep clear in the book of Galatians, what the Judaizers were arguing was this. They were arguing that you must believe and you must obey the law in order to be joined to Jesus Christ. That union with jesus christ getting even one of the blessings of jesus depended upon you not only believing in him but that you obeying the law so that your relationship to jesus was a dependence on the work that you do what you do now what is the gospel what is the gospel this is a very good question whoever asked it it's a very perceptive question it's one that uh Uh, needs a great deal of care and a great deal of thought and a lot more time. What is the gospel? And This may be all I can say is the gospel is believing in Jesus Christ by faith alone. But when you believe in Jesus Christ by faith alone, you are united to Jesus Christ, you possess the Holy Spirit and the whole job of the Holy Spirit is by His power. You've been delivered from this evil world and you have a new power, you're a new creation to begin to live a new life of obedience to the commands of the law as they've come to us in and through Jesus Christ. And let me repeat that wording, that we are to believe, the, we are to believe in Jesus Christ and we are to obey the law of God, the law of God as it comes to us in and through the work and the teaching of Jesus And that's why the Apostle Paul can often quote from the Old Testament commandments, even some of the obscure ones, because they've come to us as they've come to us in and through Jesus. Some of it, we'll just say it quickly, doesn't apply, but that which comes to us through Jesus does. And so the gospel is that we will obey. It's absolutely necessary to obey. And I'd say that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that a relationship with Jesus, a flourishing relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, demands an attempt at obeying his commands. I don't, think what one, I don't want anything to do. A whole the entire misunderstanding of this message. Everything against which I believe in so strongly, that you believe in Jesus Christ and you're free to sleep around with your, with your, your girlfriend. Free not to care for people to violate the Ten Commandments, free to do these things, not at all. Heavens together, no. That the, the Spirit empowers you to live a new life. And in order to experience that new life in relationship with Jesus Christ in full, it demands that you give some attention to and you seek to in the power of that Spirit, obey. And when you stumble and fall and don't obey, that you, what, that you, that you ask for, uh, for, for forgiveness and pray that the Spirit will now renew you in repentance. Not at all am I depreciating obedience. Not at all. So that's a long but short answer to that question. Whoever asked it can ask me some more. You know? and so yes, obedience is extremely important. And, and, and walking with God is to walk with him in the light. It's to walk in obedience. To know God in a living and fresh way is to walk with him in obedience. I'm not denying that at all. But the Judaizers weren't saying that. They were saying something else. Okay. Sorry about getting worked up there, but that's a very good question, and I really, (laughs) now as we come to this table, which is a wonderful table, it's a wonderful table. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you belong to Jesus. You belong to jesus love him and want to serve him then you are invited to come and fellowship with him and with his people if you haven't yet committed yourself to jesus christ you're just investigating the faith or you're visiting here today and you just haven't committed yourself to jesus then we would ask you not to eat but that you would think about it and think what it would be for you to believe in jesus and to eat with his people and As you, the, uh, as the uh, elements are uh, passed around, you will note that the lighter colored liquid is non-alcoholic, and the uh, wafers are gluten-free. Now, as we come to this supper, I want to make to remind you of two things: that as you come to this supper, you are declaring, you are declaring your allegiance to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you are praying that the Holy Spirit will use this means here, this bread and this wine, to minister his love and his strength and his encouragement to you, that you might serve him better. And at the same time, and this is vital to, 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 to remember, that, uh, that as you, this bread is one. This, mm, this bread is one. One loaf. And that as you partake from on this one loaf, <coughs> you are declaring, you are declaring, Your commitment to the your fellow Christian brothers and sisters. You are declaring that you are committed to the oneness of the body of Jesus Christ, and you are committed that you are committing yourself to serve and upbuild that oneness through love and concern and prayer. Our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And as he said to his friends in that ancient room, and now he says to you, his friends in this room, take, eat, this is my body given for you. In the same manner also, he took the cup having given thanks and blessed it. As he said to his friends in that ancient room and as he has said to all of his friends down through the ages in all kinds of rooms, in all kinds of people, to all kinds colors of people, in all kinds of languages, people everywhere. And now he says to you in this room, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All of you, all of you drink from it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we belong to you and that in Jesus Christ we belong to one another. We thank you for the oneness we have with you, O oh Lord, and we thank you that in, in you we have a profound oneness with one another. Help us to demonstrate our oneness to you and to each other in the way we live in this coming week, both individually and corporately. Empower us with your Spirit to experience your love and grace through this meal. And may that same spirit empower us to a new obedience, Lord, a new obedience to your commands that we might walk with you in joy and a fellowship of great enjoyment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.